For me, I'm not gonna communicate with the supplier. I have no detail orientation whatsoever. I would just say yes to everything, right? Make sure you've got somebody whose strength is in detailed communication who understands, right? Don't just leave that just because you're the CEO founder. It doesn't mean that you should be doing that communication, right? Alibaba.com e-commerce Academy is the official podcast from the Alibaba.com team. Each week on the show, we bring you conversations with industry leading experts who are using Alibaba.com to build and scale their businesses. These conversations help you explore opportunities through digital global sourcing amidst changing times and find diversified winning products and leading suppliers on Alibaba.com. Subscribe and be sure to check back for regular episodes. This is Mike and welcome to this edition of the Alibaba.com e-commerce academy podcast. It's so great to be back co-hosting this. You can also find me over at Ecom Crew, the other podcast I've been doing for quite a while. Been in e-commerce selling for about seven years and just been a blast being able to do stuff like this and meet interesting people like our guest today, Jordan West. Welcome to the podcast. Absolutely, Mike. Good to meet you. And I, I almost have a feeling I've been on Ecom Crew. Have you? Maybe. Actually, <laughs> I just, I'm like, man, you, you really look familiar. So, uh, the name sounded familiar. I was thinking the same thing. We're approaching 500 episodes and it's embarrassing because this happens often. It just, it's, you know, it's been seven years. I have a lot of other things going on in my life, speaking at events and meeting people. And yeah, we probably have spoken at some point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm really looking forward to this conversation today. This is one of my very favorite things to do is, you know, to talk e-com and uh, really looking forward to diving into this. Likewise, likewise. So for those that don't listen to the Ecom Crew podcast and haven't listened to your episode over here in this audience, maybe just spend a minute introducing yourself and talking a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Jordan West. I started my business career back when I was 23 years old. I decided to buy a Mexican chain restaurant that I knew was going bankrupt. And well, I knew that they were in, the, in bankrupt proceedings. And I was like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to buy this restaurant. And so that's really how I started out in, in business. We ended up tripling the sales in the five-year span that we were there, but lost a lot of money. That brought me into e-commerce. In 2015, 2016, my wife started making baby leggings. And I was like, hey, can we try out this like Facebook ads thing? And you know, she was just buying fabric from like just down the road. And, and so I tried out Facebook ads. I had no clue what I was doing. And in that time, you know, when we were actually able to look back on the platforms, we were getting something like a 75 return on ad spend. <laughs> and I was just running like, I had no clue what I was doing. But we, you know, started building a business from there. And, you know, that turned into four brands over there. And then we started acquiring other companies and we started an agency. And really, you know, the, the world I live in is all things, I like to call it brand or e-com plus. Because, you know, we're not just e-commerce where we, we own brands, right? And really believe in building up brands, not just, you know, necessarily, you know, just finding a product and, and drop shipping it, right? We really love building up real brands. And so that brings us to, to this year. And that, that's a, a really quick overview for you. Very cool. Well, on the fly here, uh, I, I was looking, I was curious. So you have been on the Ecom Crew podcast. It was episode 389. We were talking about advertising but but since this is the alibaba.com podcast i think it would be cool to talk about sourcing and, totally uh, which and, is and so important it is in all of this well i mean it's no, the foundation. No, no sourcing no products no products no business in e-commerce so it's it's kind of important well and i would say bad products no business mm, right like too. great you can and especially like in you know the post ios 14.5 world 
you know, if you don't have high customer lifetime value, which really comes from your products, right? High customer lifetime value does not, you know, when we're looking at businesses and I, I see a low customer lifetime value, immediately I'm like, well, it's probably a product issue, right? It's probably not a marketing issue necessarily, right? Marketing is going to get people in for that first time. And, you know, you can, you can be a really good marketer and get somebody to buy your product once, but unless they're going to, you know, talk about your product because it actually solves the problem and it's actually good quality, it doesn't really matter what you're selling. Yeah, couldn't agree more. In fact, I would even add to it. You said something along the lines of bad products, no business. I would actually say that's worse because bad products is worse than having no business. You've now spent money on these bad products that you can't sell and probably spent money on advertising and other things and waste a bunch of time, money, and energy. And so having good products is, is just so important to the foundation of any successful e-commerce business. Um, Absolutely. So let's, let's talk about that journey. I mean, when you were first getting started, what did that look like for you? I mean, how, what, what kind of tools did you use? Did you use Alibaba.com or was it something else? And let's kind of talk about how, how you find these good products. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let, let's go to the, the first sort of iteration, right? So our, the first iteration of product sourcing, we'll talk about the Kindred Studio in general, which is a clothing company that we have up here in Canada. It comprises four different brands. So the first brand that we were building at the time was called Little and Lively. And so okay. uh, actually at first it was my wife's name. It was Carmen West Creative Littles. And we thought, oh, that's not a great name. That's a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's try and find something different. So we're like, Little and lively. I love alliteration, guys. I, I I think I will always love alliteration. And so, and the and names were so big back then, right? So it's just like, okay, let's just do it. So little and lively. And so, you know, the first iteration of product sourcing was just like from a local fabric place, right? And so I was like, okay, this is kind of what we're going to do. We're going to make some leggings. The, you know, the big thing that she was trying to solve, the big problem she was trying to solve was making leggings that would actually fit over top of cloth diapers because we were trying cloth diapers at the time. That didn't last all three kids. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, but I don't. I don't know if we'd even be here if it, if it wasn't for the fact that we had that we were trying that out, right? And had right. to solve some kind of problem. And so, you know, for the first iteration was you know going to a local fabric manufacturer, or sorry, not, not manufacturer, just like fabric land. The next iteration was finding. Um, some online sources that were down in the States. So we found some places that, you know, already printed fabric that we liked. We brought those over the border, but as we started to scale up, we realized like, oh, we actually need to start manufacturing our own fabric. And we were getting to this place where it just made no sense to buy from a third party. And we thought, well, let's cut them out. And so we had no clue what we were doing. So I just started to, to Google, this was, I think this is 2014, 2015, just started to Google like sourcing products from overseas, right? Sourcing fabric. And Alibaba.com just continually came up. And so I, I, you know, heard a little bit about it, went on YouTube and tried to figure out what to do. Right. I thought, oh man, like this is like, I didn't understand the platform, not, not at all at the time, but I remember them having some features on there that I really liked because I was scared. Like, I think our first bill, the first one that we were sending over was like $50,000, which is hilarious now, you know, in, in retrospect with the kind of bills that we pay and I remember they, them having, and I'm so sorry, guys, on the Alibaba.com podcast, not knowing what the actual feature was called, but essentially it was like trade assurance or there was, there was something on there that made me feel very assured having, sending the money over to them. And we sent it through the platform over to them. And I felt really great because we're like, I don't know, are we going to get this fabric? Is this fabric actually going to show up for us? 
<laughs> and, yeah. and, and, and it did. And that really gave us so much confidence. And so that's where we found our very first supplier. And then we just kind of kept going from there. And, and for me now, every single product search starts on Alibaba.com. Like that's, I can't really think of where, where else I'd go. Yeah, no, it's, it, this is actually kind of funny because this is exactly how I found Alibaba.com in the exact same year. It was 2015. And, awesome. and I searched Google for, I had no idea like how to buy something overseas in, in any way, shape or form, found Alibaba. And I had the same reservations because, you know, as North Americans, there's just kind of like this negative connotation of some parts of the world where you just think that like, I'm going to send my money there and never see it again. And what guarantees that this isn't going to happen? I'm sure it's like not going to hop on a plane and try to go find somebody in one of these places. And it, it is a lot of money. And so having the trade assurance makes a huge difference, you know, where they're basically keeping the money in escrow and where if the factory doesn't deliver, you're going to get your money back because they're, and, and there's also reviews on the factories and, and, you know, similar to other platforms where, you know, sellers get reviews and if they're doing a good job, then you see that 25 other people have, have used them and had a good experience. And that also can give you additional confidence. And so, I don't know, I, I find it to be an awesome place to, to start product searches and we still use it to this day as well. So, totally. I, yeah. I, I remember, I, I actually, I think the big fear that I had, right, was that you just send it over and, <laughs> and, and you have no clue who's on the other end, right? right? Uh, the, the, you know, some, lots of times the language, you know, doesn't exactly match up, right? Everyone's trying to kind of do the best they can to communicate. Now, I remember when I think it was 2003, I bought an iPod on eBay and this was, this is a very formative experience. And I'm glad I'm sure everyone's had the same experience. I bought an iPod on eBay that was half the price of what they were going for normally. And do you think it showed up? Hmm. Absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> right. When it's too and good so, to be true, you know, it's usually too good to be true. Totally. And so I had the same, the same thought going into product sourcing. I was like, oh yeah, there's just a bunch of people trying to, trying to scam out there. Right. And that's just not the case. Right. That's, that's not the case when you go to a reputable place like Alibaba.com, right? Like the, the, the people on there are vetted. And so that that is just absolutely massive when you're trying to source product. Now, we're constantly trying to source product close to home. Like we're we're a made in Canada brand, right? I don't know why I did quotations. We are a made in Canada <laughs> brand. And that's really important to us. But there's a lot of things that Canada doesn't do right? We don't make fabric. There's one mill in, in the entire country and, and pricing just is completely prohibitive to, to us being able to, to do that. So we have to source internationally, right? It's, it's the only way that we can do it, even with our core values. Like it's just what we have to do. So I don't exactly know where I was going with that, but I just wanted to throw that in there. If you can make poutine or make fabric out of poutine, you guys would be set. But but since you can't, you have to go with international source it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. All right, so let's let's talk a little bit more about you know your journey there with with Alibaba.com and, and sourcing. You know, because there's there's several different types of suppliers. There you know there's suppliers, there's trading companies, there's different ways to communicate. Talk about that that part of the journey and some tips you might have for for that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So one big thing that I realized throughout, especially when looking at different pricing, was there you'd see somebody being an actual factory. It, it's actually it's very difficult to tell whether they're an actual factory or they're a trading company that yeah. is essentially just another middleman, right in between. And so that's that's just one of those things that through communication, I think that you just need to to figure out. And it's still something to this day where we're like, 
are you a trading company? Are like, are we actually getting the right price here that we should be getting? Again, I mean, it all comes down to your margins either way, but that's something really to look out for. Not saying that trading companies don't have a place, like absolutely they have a place in the market. And lots of times the communication can actually be even better with a trading company than directly with a factory. So I'm not, I'm not saying that that's horrible. It's just something to look out for that you will be paying a yeah. premium working with a trading company. It's just that they need to make a markup on what they're doing. And they, they already have the relationships with the factories. So that, that's just something to keep in mind as you are sourcing. Now, one of the things, and we still deal with this on a constant basis, we really try and keep our communication on Alibaba.com. We have one supplier that we have just had a ridiculously hard time with. And we want to make sure that all of that communication is stored there, right? <laughs> so that if there is an issue, it's like, look, this is the, the kind of stuff that we've been talking about for, for us that that's really important making sure, because, you know, we really count on, you know, every single product making its way over here, we get pom poms for little kids hats. And so we order, you know, 10,000 of them at a time. And uh, if we don't have those, those pom poms, we can't actually sell the product, right? We can make the product, we can make the, the beanie part of it, but if we don't have that, we can't actually sell the product. And so it's really important that we have crystal clear communication uh, on the other side, sorry, on both sides, right? Communication is always a two-way street. So that to us is incredibly important. Yeah. And uh, the point about the trading company thing, and just for people out there that you know aren't familiar with this terminology, there are companies that act as a broker that work with many factories and have access to a, a whole catalog of products because they're working with, let's say, 10 different disparate manufacturers, even 100 manufacturers, whatever it might be. And, and they're kind of a broker and the middleman in between. And in theory, yes, all things being equal, you'll pay more because they have a markup. But sometimes you can actually pay less by using a trading company because they can negotiate better for you on your on, on your behalf. You know, they they can communicate better a lot of times because a lot of factories only speak a foreign language where the trading company probably has some proficiency in, in English because that's probably one of the things that is a value add to them. They also can kind of crack the whip a little bit on the factory sometimes. I just I'd like to know. You know, for me, you know, it's we we do both. We still do both. I just want to know, like, are you a trading company or are you the factory? Because it's important, I think, to to have a full understanding of the relationship that you're Absolutely. in. Absolutely. Because there's some idiosyncrasies that you're going to to need to be thinking about when dealing with the trading company versus the factory. And and so, oftentimes, if you ask the point blank question, especially in Alibaba.com, they'll be honest. You know, you're just like, are you the factory or are you a trading company? they'll typically be honest. If they say that they're a factory, I usually ask a couple additional probing questions, like how many employees do you have? What's like the size of your factory? What is the address of your factory? Do you mind if I use an inspection company to come and do a like a pre-order inspection of your of your facility? I don't ever actually do that. I just like ask these questions. And typically yeah. if they're a, a, a trading company trying to put on this illusion that they're a factory, they'll they'll cave at that point and, and just kind of be honest with you at that juncture. And again, it's it just, it's important to know, I do get a little bit put off by trading companies that initially lied to me. And that typically is a, a non-starter. <laughs> yeah, that, that trust yeah. broken is a, is a huge deal <laughs> right there, thing. right? Yeah. Especially when you already have such a low amount of trust, right? As you're coming in there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big city guy, right? I have I don't trust anybody that I just first met. You know, I just uh, immediately am trying to figure out how are you trying to screw me kind of attitude. Yeah. And, you know, that isn't the way that most people are, obviously. But you know, you just got to have your your guard up. 
And so I think that those are some really good things to, to ask. And, and again, just be aware of. And if they are a trading company, you leverage the things that can be the benefit to you. Again, you can get them to potentially help you get a better price. You can get them to source some multiple factories and, totally. and consolidate your freight. And they can bring to, to you a bunch of other quality factories to the table that might be hard to find otherwise. And so there are benefits. It's just, again, it's good to know the relationship and the hierarchy that you're, you're in with that relationship. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and that brings up a really good point as well. Something that we're always trying to do is to disperse our, like always have a backup factory, right? Always make sure that, that we have another factory that can make exactly what we need just in case right? We're, we're trying, we're sourcing all over the place to make sure that like, oh, just in case this happens in this part of the world, we want to make sure that we've got a backup over here that we can quickly get online. And again, where else are you going to do that? But Alibaba.com, like, I don't even know. I, I honestly don't even know where to start. And I'm not saying that because I'm on this podcast. It's just the go-to. Yeah, no, I agree. It's a great platform. So one of the things, I, I don't want to leave this too far behind the rearview mirror, and I don't know if you're comfortable talking about this, so forgive me if, if you want to move on, but you mentioned that there was a supplier that you had some difficulties with. You were using iBaba.com to communicate with and keep it all on the platform. You know, what were some of the difficulties you had? How did you rectify them? Like, where did Alibaba step in, if they did, to, to kind of help rectify the situation? Yeah, so luckily we've never had to actually have Alibaba step in and and rectify any kind of situation. I think okay. it's the fact that you are on the platform yeah. that allows that communication to really happen and not get the ball not get dropped. So the big issues were, you know, we had no idea where our goods were ever. So this supplier just would never let us know where in transit our goods were. They wouldn't let us like we we just we were completely blind to everything. And so so being able to use the fact that we're communicating everything on Alibaba as a bit of a, a threat really helped actually get the information. So this happened for two seasons in a row. The exact same thing happened. And by season three, this was this was a couple of years ago. By season three, we were actually able to get that good communication going. And I think that's because there is a bit of transparency there, right? And there is a little bit of, of fear. I mean, nobody wants, you know, Alibaba.com is there to make these relationships work, right? And so, and so again, that's why we had that relationship. You know, at, at one point it did cost us a lot of a lot of time, money, about two months worth with this one supplier. So that was that was unfortunate and there's not really much that we can do about that afterwards but knowing that we kind of did the best that we could at least within the platform was was what we cared about yeah definitely when it comes to b2b sourcing what happens if something goes wrong with a product quality where the shipment gets delayed with the trade assurance service from alibaba.com you can get compensated in the event that either product quality or dispatch date varies from what you and the supplier had agreed to Enjoy greater peace of mind when you source on Alibaba.com with Trade Assurance. Learn more about Trade Assurance and other great tips at buyer.alibaba.com. So switching gears a little bit here, I'm kind of curious. I mean, you said you've been doing this since 2014, 2015. Have you traveled to, to visit your suppliers or is it something that you've kept exclusively online? Yeah, we've done we've done it all online. We we've thought about 
going out there. So in early 2020, we had this great plan to go out and it just didn't work. <laughs> Something came up, you know, and yeah. it just didn't I don't know work. what it was. I can't quite put my finger on it. Yeah. Yeah. But no, that's that's yeah. definitely been a big part of just something that we want to do for ourselves. We feel like we have such a good relationship with our supplier that we, we don't really need to. We've had third-party audits and all of that kind of stuff of the factory. So we feel really good about that. But it's more for us that we want to go out there, right? We want to go and meet go and meet the people who are making our fabric, right? We, you know, we order boatloads of this fabric and we want to know like, oh yeah, who's doing this, right? There's, you know, there's humans on the other end of this, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> there was actually at one point, I think this is back in 2015, maybe it was 2016, somewhere, somewhere in there where, I, and I literally just remembered this now, I was sourcing hoverboards to sell. And, and I really wanted to go meet the factory that was making these. That was one of my like, like big things at the time. That was before we really got started in the clothing world. But we ended up slowly shutting that company down just because of a few issues that were going on with hoverboards at the time. So the answer to the question, I, I'm surprised. I, I uh, figure since you've been doing this since 2015 that you had visited factories. I, I, it kind of screws up my follow-up question, which is how, how have things changed? But I'll ask a different question because you know, we, we did go visit quite a bit. And, and so things changed for us quite a bit. It sounds like you were about to go visit and then, you know, pandemic hits and it, it screws that plan up. But I mean, how, how have you been able to keep things exclusively online and keep those tight relationships that are so important when it comes to, to sourcing? Absolutely. It's just constant communication with, with our vendors and it's really building trust. Like I, I believe so much that trust is like, and we talk about this with our kids, right? I've got three little kids and we call it a trust tower, right? That it's like, hey, we're going to slowly be building these little building blocks of trust that eventually become this tower, right? But, but if you break that trust, that tower needs to be rebuilt, right? And yeah. with this current supplier, we have never had that, that tower toppled. And so it works both ways, right? We end up getting better terms year over year because we are a valued partner with them. Right. And I really like to, to think about it. Like I'm a huge seven habits of highly effective people person. I am always thinking about it's right there somewhere can... on that shelf, by the way, oh, behind me. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. That's a, a yearly read for me, if not more. I just taught it to the three of the companies that we own to the employees because I really believe in it so much. And so it's creating those win-win relationships with people and then truly understanding the back and forth. Right. I think that's the biggest thing. And so over-communicating, I think, is the key right? Making sure like, Hey, do, do we know exactly, are, are we communicating exactly? We've had miscommunication with this factory in the past where, you know, we meant, we meant some of the fabric to have items that were one inch by one inch, but they were actually a foot by a foot, <laughs> you know, like an anchor pattern or something like that. And so we've learned from that communication and that was just lack of communication rather than miscommunication. That was just you know, one person's assuming one thing, one person's assuming another, we speak totally different languages and we're all just trying to do this thing together. And so I really recommend over communicating and, and then starting to build that, that trust tower, right? We don't treat them the way that we did at first, right? We're not skeptical of them, right? We've worked together long enough that there's no skepticism there. It's like, we're just all trying to do the best that we can. And so what ends up happening again, is we get better pricing and better terms. And there's a lot of trust built in that relationship. Yeah. And you mentioned over communicating. I mean, I think that that's definitely the way to go. I mean, I, and you also mentioned your kids. It's like, I actually think about it from the perspective of I'm talking to a young child and it's not to be condescending to the, the factory or the relationship. It's just, again, like you said, 
they speak a different language. They might use different measures of, of measurements. Like we're using Imperial over here. They're using metric. They, they might not ever use these products in their daily lives. Like there's a lot of things that happen in other parts of the world or products that get used that just don't get used over here. We have a, a home hardware business, for instance, that is, is completely alien to our manufacturers because we use wood stud and drywall construction and they're using like poured concrete or cinder block or mm. you know, like a lot yeah. of the world does. And so you know, there's just all these things that you have to be, you, you, that you don't think about until you, until it's too late a lot of times. And so over communicating, really spelling things out and every little detail, when you think it's, it's too much, it's probably still not enough. And a, a totally. from that perspective can, can stop a lot of things from happening, like getting a, a one foot by one foot thing that was supposed to be one inch by one inch. I mean, and even translate that into centimeters a lot of times, like whenever we communicate anything to any place else in the world, we always use metric imprint and, and brackets. Totally. Say, and I was using an imperial version for, for you American listeners out there, you know, just, just so that you get it. Us Canadians are also on the metric system. So. Yeah. Yeah. Just, well, just mean, wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> You, you're having a kilo of donuts, a Tim, a Tim Hortons instead of a pound. So, <laughs> I hope I'm not eating a kilo of donuts. Well, you um, know, I the, just, the pandemic changed a lot of things. So maybe that's one of the things you, you habits you picked up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I just, I just wanted to put one other thing in there too. I really believe in strengths. Uh, people working within their strengths love Clifton strengths and all of our companies that we have. But one of the big, the big things that goes along with that is like, for me, I'm not going to communicate with the supplier. I have no detail orientation whatsoever. Like I, I would just say yes to everything, right? Make sure you've got somebody whose strength is in detailed communication, who understands, right? Don't just leave that just because you're the CEO founder. It doesn't mean that you should be doing that communication, right? Make sure that you're working within people's strengths. I think that's really important when it comes to all of this communication. Yeah. So as you, as you were talking, these are the things I love about these types of conversations. I get personally curious about stuff. So I want to ask some things I'm kind of personally curious about. You mentioned that you're sourcing a lot of these materials abroad, but you, you're a Canadian built company. And so it sounds like what you're doing is sourcing a bunch of disparate materials and then sewing it together or whatever type of manufacturing practice you have in Canada, putting it, the final product together there. Is that, is that accurate? Is that kind of how things are happening? That's right. For this particular company, yeah. So our, our value is made in Canada, right? So we okay. really love being able to manufacture locally. We actually like one of our manufacturers is like a three block drive from our warehouse. Really, really matters to us. But there's certain things we just can't get in Canada, right? Again, fabric is one of them. We even tried to get out of Toronto a mill to make our fabric and they said, no, we can't do it. We just can't do the blend that, that you want. We can't source these materials that you want. So we do everything that we can to source everything that we can in Canada. And then whatever we can't, then we start to look to international markets. And again, it's a strengths conversation, right? You guys are good yeah. at this. Let's bring that in over here. We don't pay any duty on fabric in Canada because we don't make it. And so so okay. they want us to manufacture, right? The Canadian government wants us to manufacture in Canada. Uh, okay. But obviously fabric is one of those things that we bring in for free. I just, in my limited knowledge of, of fabrics and, and this type of stuff, how do you ensure consistency and the, the colors are, are the same each time and, and the things that are important to you in terms of quality with, with each run that you're, you're going to get the same stuff? 
Yeah, yeah, good. that's a great question. So, so for us again, we have this trust with our with the warehouse that makes all of our all of our goods. But we have had issues, right? So we make sure that quality control is is a, a huge deal for us, right? So they're constantly sending us photos, making sure. Lots of times they'll actually fess up if there's a problem before that. Like at one point we had a line that was right through oh, I don't know a couple thousand meters of fabric, just a line right up the middle. So we couldn't use it for most products but they let us know before that, right? So a lot of the quality control happens on that side. And then when it comes to us, we make sure to quality control everything by just taking samples of different fabric. Our manufacturer here in Canada, we make sure that they're also doing quality control on the fabric itself. Yeah, that's that's kind of a bit of our process. But again, that's the, the detail quality control stuff doesn't necessarily always fall over to me. Do you do samples for each run? So, I mean, like, because again, I, I've seen inconsistencies. We've had a few things that are made of fabric and, you know, it just, it, it starts to change over time. And then you don't realize it till you've got 10,000 units. Like for us, it's a pre-done product. We're not, we don't have the luxury of just getting more fabric later. I mean, the thing's already landed on our doorstep and we realize, oh, it's a slightly different color or, or a different grade. So, I mean, are you getting samples with each uh, swatches with each order or is it that you just have established a level of trust now that you don't even need to do that step anymore? Yeah, a, a little bit of both. So we actually get fabric sent over on air so that we can make samples ourselves, right? All of the, everything that we do is custom. So we do giant dye lots and it's all our fabric. So okay. generally it's all just one dye lot. So when you're working with, you know, way bigger companies than, than what we are, there's going to be multiple dye lots of like say black, right? And so this black might look a little bit different than another black that does happen in fabric, but we really try to, to make sure that our dye lots are consistent. Okay. Does that, does that answer that question? Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, and, and so in terms of timelines, like what is it taking you to, from the day that you place your orders to get, to get these fabrics? I mean, and what types of quantities are you having to order when, when you do place the order? Yeah, great, great question. So we actually, we just placed our spring summer order for next year. So oh, wow. yeah, so you're, so we're working- you're six, nine months out. Yeah, totally. So we need to take into account all the manufacturing time. We need to take into account, you know, our wholesalers who need the product a little bit early or, or, or who at least are ordering a little bit early. So yeah, we're, we're way in advance looking. So it's incredible that, you know, my wife has the designer in that company. It's incredible that she's able to pinpoint what is actually going to be in fashion at this time. <laughs> I don't know how she does it. That, that I'm very glad that you didn't ask me that question. <laughs> I, I would not but, ask that question because I have no clue either. So <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. Interesting. That, that seems like a, a heck of a challenge though, with those types of timelines. Cause you know, we, we have different businesses as well, similar to what you're saying. And, and you know, we have some stuff that we source domestically, man, that is my favorite where it just, uh, it's like almost just in time ordering. Then we have some products that are sourced internationally that, uh, that can take nine months as well. And those are the hardest to, to really get your head around because you're making big decisions so far in the future. You don't necessarily know if it's still going to be selling as well nine months from now, yeah. If they're if they're seasonal products, like is it is this the the season that they do really well, or was last season just a mirage? How do you deal with those types of things? Yeah. So one one thing that we're actually switching over to on the apparel side is an evergreen line, right? So we know that there's products that have sold well for years, right? There's like a certain black dress, mm. right? There's a, there's certain black leggings. There's okay. ones that we just know are going to be good. And so what we're actually trying to do is move more into an evergreen type 
environment where we are less dependent on seasonality. So we're still going to have seasonal runs at all times, but what we really want to try to do is get that fabric over here. So right now we're probably holding around a million dollars of fabric Oof. in, in our warehouse. Yeah. So cash is, cash is often resting <laughs> for any e-com owners, right? So yeah. because we have to put out so much before the season, we're also holding a very large amount of inventory on our shelves at all times, right? Because we need enough for, you know, tomorrow or today we'll have a wholesaler place, you know, who has 10 locations place a massive order. And we need that inventory there right now. But our whole idea is hold the things that come internationally, right? Like fabric, hold a huge amount of those and then do more like just-in-time manufacturing for the rest. Mm. That's that's what we're trying to move to, to change our cash cycle a little bit because it, it gets crazy. Yeah, I mean, we could do another whole podcast about this. It's actually one of my, my favorite things to talk about these days, just because I think that it really helps young e-commerce sellers really understand the financial aspects of, of running an e-commerce company. The things that I just didn't fully understand when I first got into it, which is that you will always feel poor in this business because you have a million dollars on your balance sheet of fabric and, and other things that that is is great, but it's not in your in your bank account. And so, you know, it's it's something you have to mentally be prepared for and, and get around. But that's definitely off topic. So we'll we'll, we'll go back to, to fashion. I also want to be respectful of your time because I know we're we're bumping up against the the time limit here. So I, I just want to think a little bit more back to fashion and, and sourcing. What do you what do you see as like the big trends right now, and and where do you think things are going? You know, from here. Well, it's really interesting because this season in particular, we're going back retro, right? So I saw what my wife was designing, and I was like, "Oh man, I don't know how this season's going to go." Lots of like seventies kind of styles, right. and bell bottoms, bell <laughs> bell bottoms, smiley faces, all these yeah. things, and I was like what in the world? And then I go into Old Navy, sorry, <laughs> I'm trying to think big, one of the Gap companies. I go into Old Navy and I see all of it in their new season. And I'm like, oh, okay, she nailed it. All right. That's great to know that that, that is the trend, right? So how these trends happen, I mean, th- this is just one of those questions. You know, with fashion, we're really just trying to show people who we are, right? Like, hey, this is what I care about. This is what's cool. This is this is who I am, right? And so as people start to have these, these different kinds of conversations and different experiences, I think that fashion follows that. You, you and I are from the same fashion background. you got the plain black tee on. I got a whatever color this is, plain tee on. That's like, <laughs> I, I did my wife address me better or something. Same thing, I guess, with you, because it's just, you know, I don't know what to do. I go back to my closet, get the the simplest thing possible. And that's, that's my yeah. fashion trend. Yeah. Yeah. You can't go wrong. You can't go wrong with it, go just wrong. a plain basic tea. <laughs> right. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, one of the other things I want to ask you in terms of trends, you know, one of the things I've seen happening over in Asia, especially is just the environment being a bigger consideration. You, you hear a lot of stories of, you know, these old factories that would just dump all the sludge in the, in the river or just right down yeah. in, into the street or, you know, let, let all the, the pollution come out smokestacks. What are you seeing in terms of that? And is that changing pricing or the timelines or eliminating manufacturers? I mean, I'm just curious, like all the repercussions that you've seen from that, or, or is it just less of a factor than I, than I think it is? 
You know, I think it's a huge factor. I, I think that the bar is now set where sustainability is just needs to be a part of every fashion brand, right? There's so many fast, fast fashion brands out there that literally will just dump products afterwards, right? Because they don't want them entering the market at, at a discounted sort of rate. So for us, that's a huge part of what we're trying to do. We know we've done surveys with our customers. The, the very first place to start is just, are your clothes being used more? right? That's the first place, right? Like we don't necessarily want to just get clothing out there just to fill people's closets. Are they actually being used more? And so we've done extensive surveys with our customers and we found out that the average person, the average mom passes the clothing down between 2.7 children. So they last that long. And then they go into a buy, sell trade group that we don't even manage ourselves. We have about 5,000 members in this group and they actually then buy, sell and trade the clothing in there. So for us, that's the very first place that we're starting is like, creating quality clothing, right? Mm. Create quality things. And it's way better for the environment than yeah. creating, you know, fast fashion that it's like, oh, good. I wore this shirt for a day and now I can throw it out. Right. Like yeah. that, that to me is not exciting. What's exciting is having a garment that I know that I could sell afterwards. Right. That's, that's exciting. There's people on our buy, sell trade group that sell pairs of leggings for more than they bought them for originally because people love the certain print so much and it's still such good quality. That yeah. to me gets me excited. In terms of like a, a multiple factor, like how much more is the fabric that lasts and, and fits this criteria versus the cheap stuff? I mean, is it twice as expensive, three times as expensive, 5% more expensive? I, I would say tw- I would say twice. Twice, twice as far as so what it's, it's is significant. per meter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which is like but something- But it's not an option. Of, uh, you know, other people. But the, but the other stuff isn't an option. Right. So it's, right. I don't even look at it, right? Like we, we recently were doing a collaboration with another brand who manufactures overseas and doesn't use the same quality fa- fabric as us. And we looked at their pricing and my wife was just like, I cannot believe what our margins would be if we did that. I'm like, don't. Right. Because we're not doing that. Right. That's, well, that's not the brand. Our I mean, it's totally. Yeah. 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 Interesting. So I always like to wrap up with the open-ended question. What, what's the thing I haven't asked that would be interesting or helpful to the audience? <laughs> open-ended questions so oh tough. man oh man what's what's the one question that you that you didn't ask what do i care about and it's interesting because i love having these kinds of conversations i love talking about revenue and profit and sourcing and all of these things but i literally don't care at the end of the day about that because it doesn't matter to me i think that once we you know, for the business owners that are out there, once you make $100,000 a year as a family, everything else doesn't matter. In fact, there is a bell curve that goes down the more that you have, right? And so what are you building and why are you building it? Like, what are you building it for? There was a great interview with Malcolm Gladwell on the CEO podcast recently. And it was... It was just so eye-opening the way that he talked about it. He's like, what, what are we doing? He talked about work from home, which was a really interesting conversation where it was like, what exactly, like, why do we want work from home so badly? Do we think that that is the pinnacle of human existence mm-hmm. is to sit in our underwear ticking boxes? Because I don't think that that is. And, and so as business owners, is the pinnacle of existence having $50 million in the bank? Is that going to make me happier? No, no, we know that that's not true, right? Like there's so many stats out there that show that that is a, like that bell curve goes down, right? So, so for me, that's, that's what I'm passionate about is like helping people realize that there's so much more than money, right? We just think that that's what it's all about. And it's really not. (laughs) Yeah. 
No, it's true. I mean, there, there's a, I'm sitting, as you were talking about trying to rack my brain of, I've, I've read about this as well. And I'm trying to remember if it was a book or a study from a, at a college or something, but you probably just Google it. And it's really fascinating because basically there's like this baseline of income, anything below that, all you think about is money, right? Because like you're trying to pay your power yeah. bill, or your medical bills, or get your kids with clothing. But at a certain point, that is no longer a factor. And then you start becoming depressed or anxious about other things that you know you've created for yourself, right? And so totally. as you said, that bell curve starts to go down. You think that having fifty million dollars is the answer. And, you know, as someone that's done very well in some years and, and lost money in other years. You know, I can tell you that the amount of money that I had was not the factor that 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 made me happy. You know, in the first year, you think it's going to be so cool, and you go out and do a bunch of things that you know are stupid with with the money and stuff because it's just very typical human tendency. But you know, that stuff's all off the side to like what really matters in life, and you know, which is you know your health, obviously, but like family and relationships and the things that there's other studies that talk about the people that live the longest and have the what the the happiest lives and money is like very rarely a factor in that it's yeah. open yeah. community and you know just being with people that that care about you being surrounded by them and you know this exists in in villages and third world countries way more than it exists in in Beverly Hills totally I, I think to 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 wrap that up too I think that you know when we think about the hierarchy of needs most people's minds are stuck at base level survival because of money. And they think like, so even rich people are stuck at that level where it's like, oh, I, if I just had more, no, no, no. Once you have your basic needs met, you can start to ascend that hierarchy of needs. Yep. yep absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. Interesting way to end the podcast. Thanks for sharing that. I always think it's good to talk other, other things outside of business and sourcing sometimes. So appreciate that. If people want to find out more about you and the things you're up to, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Absolutely. LinkedIn is the best place. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Try to post a couple times a day, but what's, what's working right now, what I'm seeing, and then some of the life stuff too, because I think that's really, really some of the important stuff. So just search Jordan West Marketer. That's the, the best way to find me there. And then feel free if you know anyone who's listening has a question or something piqued their interest, Jordan at upgrowthcommerce.com is the best way to reach me. Excellent. We'll make sure all that's in the show notes. Jordan, thank you so much for coming on. It's good talking to you again in a different environment. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Alibaba.com e-commerce Academy is the official podcast from the Alibaba.com team. Each week on the show, we bring you conversations with industry leading experts who are using Alibaba.com to build and scale their businesses. These conversations help you explore opportunities through digital global sourcing amidst changing times and find diversified winning products and leading suppliers on Alibaba.com. Subscribe and be sure to check back for regular episodes.